You can open your Bibles again to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. My intention is to finish chapter 2 today, so hopefully I will be able to do that. If not, then we'll have to continue it next week, but I think we will. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 to 16. Again, continuing on this, this theme, I said it's going to be lasting for a few more chapters of on the wisdom of God and everything that's involved with it. We're going to read verses 6 to 16. For now, I'm just going to read verses 6 to 9. I'll pray, and then we'll get started, all right? So, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 to 16, this is what the Word of God says. It says, Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. The wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood, for if they understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. Lord, here we are, here we stand this morning, or sit this morning rather, Lord, as objects of your grace. What a wonderful position to be in, Lord God, because we know what the the flip side of that, or the opposite position is to be objects of your justice, Lord God, and that would not be a pretty picture for us, and yet it would still be your righteousness at work. So Lord, we thank you that we are on the side of grace this morning, and pray, Lord God, that we would grow in grace, grow in our understanding of you, the mighty one, Lord. Help us to be the vessels that you've called us to be, and help us now as you've brought us together for a time such as this, Lord God, to rejoice in your word, rejoice in the truth of God, which you have revealed to us, as we will see. So we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So yet, verse 6 says, Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. And the Bible... If you look at the Bible, Scripture speaks of the importance of maturing in our faith quite a bit. The will of God, we know, is our sanctification, and our sanctification is growing and maturing in our faith, essentially, right? Sanctification, growing and maturing in our faith. It is learning to operate in the Spirit's power, which will result in Many things. It's going to result in feeding, or even, I would say, feasting on the Word of God. It is our nourishment that we need. It will result in praying, but I would even say, the more we mature, it's constantly, consistently praying, and living out the very things that we've been taught under the power of the Holy Spirit. It is truly seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, believing and knowing that God will indeed do the rest. He is true to His word. And whatever that looks like, the mature believers want it and believe it to be the best for them. Right? That's what they believe. Mature is the Greek word teleos, and it means perfect or complete. And oftentimes in Scripture, mature is referring to those who are more 
seasoned, we can say, in their faith. And what I mean by seasoned is the one who is further along in their sanctification. That is, they are more conformed to the image of Christ because they are more surrendered to the Spirit. The bottom line is that's the true reality. Not every Christian is at the same spot or at the same pace in their sanctification. A lot of times it's their own fault because they quench the Spirit. They don't want to fully commit themselves. And so more conformed simply means more surrender to the Spirit and have moved on from milk into solid food. That is the ultimate goal. right? We don't forget the milk. The milk is still vital. Right? But we want to move on to solid food. But there's also a sense in this passage that we're reading that mature is referring to all believers regardless of how seasoned they are in their faith. And you're going to see the context here. He has been speaking of the wisdom of God being essentially the gospel. Right? That this stands in direct contrast to man's wisdom, human wisdom. The very gospel that is the wisdom of God to save those who are lost and who are perishing, right? The very gospel which is and was the wisdom of God who is all-powerful, which is why he calls it both not just the wisdom of God, but last week we also learned that it is the power of God. It's wise because it's God's perfect infinite plan. It's powerful because it saves. And unlike the wisdom of the rulers of this age, which had to do with Paul's generation, all the past before him and all the future until Christ comes and a new heavens and a new earth comes. All that the wisdom of man has accomplished as far as spiritual things, okay, is their own judgment. Mankind has accomplished great things, right? But as far as their spiritual condition, they have not accomplished anything but their judgment. So we need to look at this in a salvific way, I think, to really understand that man, since his beginning, has not been able to do any spiritual good and could not redeem himself. This is very clear. All you got to do is read your Bibles, look at your surroundings, look at all the religions of the world, and you see the only hope is in Christ and Christ alone. And unless God steps in, mankind leads themselves and others towards the path of hell. Right? They are passing away as the ending of verse 6 says. And passing away is categorio in Greek, which means coming to nothing. And this is actually an interesting word because this is a passive participle in the Greek, which means that God is the one that brings to nothing the wisdom of the rulers of this age. He lets them have it. Okay? He's going to bring it to nothing. Okay? And that's exactly what we see. Now in Scripture, and this is important even for understanding eschatology, in Scripture, there are only two ages. There's only two ages in Scripture. That is this age, and this age is Adam, until the second Adam, Jesus Christ, comes back in judgment, and we have the age to come, right? So this age, and then the age to come, which is the new heavens, the new earth, which all there's going to be is just righteousness that rules. In this age, unrighteousness is prevalent. But in the age to come, there will only be 
righteousness. It's our hope. It's what we look forward to, right? So verse 7 says, We speak God's wisdom in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. So, here we see something that is very important for our understanding. Important for us in understanding really the big picture. So first thing we see here is that he says God's wisdom is a mystery. And the word mystery we know speaks of something purposely hidden and secret. And oftentimes in the New Testament the mystery comes up in different forms. Okay? The mystery is the mystery of God. Okay? So we need to understand first that the mystery is God's mystery. Okay? It's God's mystery. We have the mystery of Christ. We have the mystery of the church. You have the mystery of the Gentiles also being included in the plan of redemption. And we're living proof of that here because we're all Gentiles. Right? And though there are different aspects of this mystery, they are all one in the sense that they are all embodied in one person. If you turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2, right in the beginning, I'll read the first three verses. Colossians chapter 2, keep your finger in 1 Corinthians 2. Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, speaks a little bit of this. And it says this in verse 1. It says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are in Laodicea, and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ Himself, in whom are all hidden... In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So we see here from this passage that the mystery really is Christ. It all is wrapped up in Christ. If we, we've talked about the gospel, right? The good news. And the gospel really can be summed up. It is one person, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the gospel. And if we miss Jesus, there really is no gospel, Right? Jesus is the gospel. Last week we learned that it is Jesus who is the preeminent one. There, there's no room for eminence for anybody but Jesus who is, had, who is to have the preeminence. The one which all of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation points to. The one that everything is about. The, the, the promised seed which was preserved for 4,000 plus years and for the past 2,000 years we have been embracing and elevating as the church of the living God. So God's wisdom is a mystery, but it's not a mystery to us as the church. It is a mystery to the world. It's not, that mystery has been revealed to us as the church. Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13 in verses 10 to 13. I'll let you guys turn there real quick. Speaks a little bit about this as well. Remember, Jesus oftentimes spoke in parables. And there was a reason why he did that during his earthly ministry. And in Matthew 13 verses 10 to 13, his disciples came 
and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus answered them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. That's such an important word, granted, right there, right? To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. Them, that is the world, those who are not, we're going to see chosen. To them it has not been granted. For whoever has to him more shall be given, and he will have in an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because while seeing, they do not see, and while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. If you back up just two more chapters in Matthew, in chapter 11, in verse 25, he says, At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and of earth that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent, from the world's perspective, right? And have revealed them to infants. So brothers and sisters, we learn first from these verses that this wisdom of God, which brings salvation, is a gift to a select few. And we can conclude that if this wisdom is not revealed, right, it remains hidden and incomprehensible. In other words, again, if we fail to see election in this, the doctrine of election, then we are missing the richness of what God is teaching concerning the mystery, the very mystery that has been revealed to us in this room this morning. Second, he says it was predestined before the ages to our glory. Again, I can't stress to you how important I believe that to be, right? We have talked about the covenant of redemption many times in this church, whether it's in this room or a pastor has mentioned it from the pulpit and uh, during the worship service many times. So by way of reminder, the covenant of redemption, which we uphold and we teach, is a concept that, believe it or not, a lot of real Christians reject. And they reject it because they believe it's unbiblical because the term is not there in the Bible. And I understand maybe what they're trying to say, but you're ruling out a lot of things that we believe in if we're not seeing the term in the Bible. Terms embody a definition of something that is clearly taught in the Bible, right? The Trinity is a term we don't see in the Bible, yet we see the Trinity in the Bible, right? So if we were to go take, uh, for instance, you can't just learn all that there is on a word if we just go look up a concordance. Right? It's helpful. It's a good starting point. But to think that, let's just say we're looking for the word love, and then all of a sudden we look at all the scriptures that talk about love and think that that's all we know about love. There's so many other things that embody the same thing in scripture to learn about it. So I've shared that this form of biblicism, if you want to call it, is simplistic. And not to be harsh with those that would reject it, but I think it really is simplistic. Simplistic meaning treating complex issues and problems as if they were much simpler than they really are. If you guys remember, especially when we started the catechism, uh, I had mentioned what we call the word concept or the word thing fallacy. 
And the word concept fallacy is the assumption that studying a word or a phrase, right, means having studied the entire biblical concept. So someone will say that if the word, namely of the particular concept or thing being suggested is not present, then it must not be there. And it's therefore false. So I'm stating that this doctrine is stating quite clearly especially here in this verse, in verse 7 that we just read, if we examine again what is, is exactly being said. So how do we define the covenant of redemption? So to keep it true, and I would say to the point, and basic, it is the eternal agreement between the persons of the Trinity concerning the salvation of mankind, to redeem, the purpose in redeeming mankind. We can even say this, that it is the eternal agreement between the persons of the Trinity of their created plan. Because we need to remember that the whole purpose, again, behind creation was redemption. So let me just read that again in verse 7. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. So we have mentioned many times that there is no plan B or plan C or plan D for that matter in God's plan. God didn't set up a a backup plan in case his first one didn't work out. Can you imagine that, first of all? Can you imagine really serving a God that needs backup plans? Okay, we don't serve a God that needs backup plans. He is sovereign. He's in control of everything. So this mystery is hidden to most, but revealed to a few, and it has always existed with God in His eternal counsel. So we need to remember this. God does not change. It's called His immutability, right? He does not change. Thank God, exactly. God does not discover something or learn something. In other words... The persons of the Trinity in eternity past didn't get together and say, hey, we have to come up with a plan. No. As they have always existed, all their knowledge has always existed. We can't wrap our mind around that. But this is us really understanding the depths of how amazing God is. God cannot experience not knowing. They always know all the time. Right? It's, it's, it's really an amazing thing. Okay, so his foreknowledge is a direct result of his eternal forever plan. He knows because he has ordained everything that will happen. And this includes all that he allows or all that he permits to happen within his plan. So our destiny, right, our destiny as the church has to do with his foreknowledge. So verse 7 says that this mystery has always been as God has always been. So this whole plan has existed as God has always existed. Before creation even was, this plan was there. You understand? So it's really a beautiful thing when we look at it that way. Verse 8 says, The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood... For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So the point in this age that Paul's talking about, again, was the current time. If the Jews understood this, 
If the Pharisees understood this, if Pilate understood this, Herod, etc., right? They would not have done what they did. But they did what they did because God had determined it in His perfect and holy counsel. We see this very clearly again. A good verse for this is in Acts chapter 4. If you guys want to turn there. Acts chapter 4, verses 27 to 28. People have a problem when we talk about God ordaining everything and being in full control and Him choosing and all that kind of stuff. Well, they have a problem with Scripture. That's just the reality. They have a problem with Scripture. We have to allow Scripture to be its own interpreter. In Acts chapter 4, verses 27 to 28, listen to what's said in verse 27. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate. Who's you? You, God appointed. Let me read that again. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, Father against your son Jesus, right? Whom you, Father, anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of God. So God appointed all men, even those who would do what they did to the Lord of glory, Jesus Christ. Right? It's very clear that everything that happened, including Judas, right? Happened by God's ordination. So what God determines will always come to pass. Did not Job know this? Remember Job at the ending in chapter 42, verse 2, when he's having his dialogue with, he's having his dialogue most of the chapter with his friends, right? His friends were not being very gracious and they, you know, a lot of their statements were true, but they were certainly wrongly applied and certainly the Lord rebuked them. But Lord, uh, Job says this in Job chapter 42, verse 2. He says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. So the wonderful mystery is revealed to an exclusive people. And we are an exclusive people in this room right now. And not just us, any other true Bible-believing church that's meeting right now. We are exclusive from the rest of the world, including all their religions, their atheism, whatever ideology they have, right? This mystery is revealed to an exclusive people. And these are the people who have God's special love. And they, in turn, can now love Him back, whereas they couldn't do that before, right? We couldn't love God. We didn't really want to love God before. So God has indeed prepared a place with so much goodness for His people. Let's look at verse 9. It says, But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen, and ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love Him. Again, we have to remember, He's talking to us as a church. But we love him because he has loved us first. Go ahead, Miss DJ. I'm, I'm, I'm reading with bated breath, hoping you'll get to verse 10. Oh, I am. Because it's the other half of that sentence. Yeah, I'm getting to verse 10, don't you worry. I'm going to finish the chapter. Yeah. So again, we love him because he has loved us first. 
And He has many wonderful things prepared for His people, not only in the future, okay, but He has many wonderful things prepared for His people presently now. And if we've missed that, then we're really being way too selfish to miss all the things that He has prepared even now. Even this, the fact that He has prepared a family for us. Not just a blood family. I mean, this is family time. Right now, this is true family time. This is the greatest and closest family we can truly really have when it is together in the body of Christ, right? And our hope is based on this. But now, He's going to teach on the one who reveals this mystery, right? This is where we get into the work and function of the persons of the Trinity, Okay, They each have a different function, and yet they are all God. Remember that they function with different roles and are in complete agreement. Okay, They are in complete agreement all the time. And because they are in complete agreement, they are always unified. When you are always in agreement, you are always unified. And they are the essence of love, and they are the essence of oneness even being three. And we are to follow that example. Not that we can be God, but we are to be one. There should be oneness in this church and we, what we believe and what we preach and what we teach and what we agree on and the life that we live. Verse 10 says, For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. So we see the mystery is revealed through the person of the Holy Spirit. That is His function. And this happens through the work of regeneration. That's what He does. The Spirit regenerates. He makes the believer, the dead believer, born again. He gives them new life, right? We learned this in the Catechism in the Order of Salvation. The mystery of God is Christ, right? He reveals that to the regenerated saint. And we said that the gospel is Christ. And Christ is Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 3 says, Therefore I make, ma- I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Right? So he does this work. We don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and get saved apart from the Holy Spirit doing His regenerating work first. So even during Jesus' earthly ministry, His disciples didn't get everything, right? They didn't understand everything even during that time. Actually, they had better understanding when Jesus rose again and ascended and He sent them the Helper, right? But he comforted them before his departure with words of encouragement. And these words are for us as well. Look at John chapter 14. I'll wait for you guys to turn there. John chapter 14, verse 26. John 14, verse 26. And he says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, Whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things. And bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So guess what? As he was comforting his disciples. 
about this helper that would come, we have the same helper, right? He's helping me right now as I speak this very moment. And he's helping each of you who, who believe as well. Helping each of you to discern whether or not I'm not preaching something that is not from the Bible, right? He's helping all of us in this Christian life that he has given us. And the latter part of verse 10 says that the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. So the Holy Spirit knows the deepest things of God without missing anything. Why? Because He is God. And God is always together. All the time. Romans 11.33, the ending of that beautiful doxology says, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments and unfathomable His ways. How unsearchable are His judgments and unfathomable His ways to a mere human, but not to the Spirit who knows everything. And we have His Spirit. Think about that. Just let that like marinate and resonate in your minds to think of how good we have it. That you don't have to be a brilliant, a brilliant genius to be able to study and labor in the Scriptures and understand it. He has already given that to us. We have His Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that, that God inspired all the people to write His Word is the same Holy Spirit who is in us right now in this room. How amazing is that? Verse 11 says, For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. So, what he's saying here is that only a person's own spirit knows the depths of what is in their head. Right? You guys don't know what's in my head, even if we know each other. If you're like me, I'm an observer of people. I read people in their faces. That's a blessing and a curse at the same time. Okay? But when it's all said and done, only, no one really knows what's in someone's head except that person. Right? Well, it's the same way. He's using the same thing with God. So if the Spirit knows everything about God because He is God, and if the Holy Spirit is the primary author of all Scripture... And all Scripture is God's revealed will. And all that God reveals is for us. And this revealed will is in fact the mystery of God and God's special revelation that saves. And we have the helper in us for our understanding. Then what are we doing with this precious gift? What are we doing with this precious gift of the Holy Spirit that will never leave us? Ever. Right? What is, uh, it is the seal. The seal of us being true children of God. Being true believers. Look at the remainder of this chapter as it speaks so clearly and I believe profoundly to us for our encouragement. Look at verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Which things we also speak, meaning Paul, the apostles, and their associates, right? Not in words taught by human wisdom. Paul said he didn't do that. He didn't need to do that. But in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Remember when Peter 
and John spoke. The people marveled because they were unlearned men. In Acts chapter 4.13 we say, Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. The very Jesus who was the gospel. The very Jesus who was the second person of the Trinity. The very Jesus who was God. Who was incarnate. Can people say of us, brothers and sisters, that we have been with Jesus? Because that's what people should see. When we're in this church, when we're outside this church in the world, can people say that person has been with Jesus because of how we live? Now look what he says in verse 14. But a natural man, the natural, unredeemed state of mankind, but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. They are spiritually understood, right? So do we realize that we are not natural anymore? Do we understand and realize that something supernatural has indeed happened to us? Old things have passed away and new things have come. We have that spirit which speaks of the things of God, right? Which the natural man can't understand, but every one of us in this room can understand because we're God's children. Verse 15 says, But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. I like this verse. I think this verse is beautiful. So not only can we understand spiritual things, we can understand Scripture, God's revealed will. But we can rightly judge and evaluate the various situations in life in all their context. So in other words, we're in a secular world doing our jobs. Uh, anything. Anything in the world. We can do it because we have the Holy Spirit who is the ultimate wisdom of God. We have more insight than anyone else in the world. Think about that. So really, you take any, any professional and any... We're not saying that, they're not, that they don't know things. Of course they do. Man, man is able to accomplish wonderful things. But you put the same one with all the same credentials and you put another one there that is a believer. There's no match. There is no match because he has the spirit of the living God in him. It's really a beautiful thing. So no one is more equipped in this life and all life's obstacles than those who have been illumined by the spirit. And this ought to make us confident in wherever God has us. Whatever situation God has us in. Listen, i got to preach this to myself. Because every time hardship comes, or especially if I'm at work and I get stressed out, or maybe God just put, not God, I shouldn't say God, or maybe like a bad thought goes into your head. You know, I, at that moment, sometimes, I might become the worst theologian in the world. And I have to preach this my, to myself the same thing that I would prepare and preach to anyone else. The truth of God's word. So I can be confident in that. Right? And not so much confident in ourselves, but in ourselves in the Lord. Right? 
in ourselves, in the Lord. In other words, we truly believe you, Lord. We believe all that you have told us, and therefore, we're going to respond to the great supernatural knowledge you have given us with wisdom and not like fools. He's called us to wisdom. And guess what? There's another reality that comes with this. As the church, the world is foolish. They don't know God. God is out of the picture. So even things that, you know, they, they might have be good mathematicians. That's logical. That's good. But when God is out of the picture, it's foolishness. Right? But guess what? As the church, we can also be foolish. We need to remember that. We can be foolish. As a matter of fact, I would even say this way. We can be the most foolish people on earth. Because we have been illumined. We know the truth. We have no excuse. Just like the nation of Israel. Okay, everyone had the law of God written on their hearts. And that is enough. But Israel had it written clear. There's no double guessing or anything like that. They were doubly accountable. Right? Well, guess what? As the church, so are we. We have the ultimate wisdom of God. Okay? <coughs> so, let's not be foolish. Why? Verse 16. For who has known the mind of the Lord that He will instruct Him? That's a rhetorical question. No one. Right? But He follows that. But we, the church, now that you are in Christ and have His Spirit... We have the mind of Christ. Think about that. We have the mind of Christ. Are you going to be wise? Are you going to be foolish? What a pity it would be to have... (coughs) Sorry. What a pity it would be to have the mind of the living God and operate with our natural minds. Let me just close with this Beautiful passage in Ephesians. You can turn there. It's in Ephesians chapter 3. And as you're turning there, Paul, when he's writing this letter, is a prisoner for his devotion to Christ. Just to give us a little context. He's a prisoner for his devotion to the Lord. He was suffering not for unrighteousness, but he was suffering for righteousness. And God tells us that we are a blessed people when we suffer for righteousness. For we have fellowship with, through our sufferings with Christ. Right? He is praying encouragement and spiritual growth for encouragement and spiritual growth. He wants those who read this to have the same mindset. And in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 14, I'm going to read to the end. He says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. And before I continue reading, again, what do I always say? Do we believe this? Do we believe this without faith? It's impossible to please Him. So that Christ, verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend 
with all the saints, what is the breadth and the length and height and depth. And know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Think about that. And I love verse 20. Especially when we start thinking of hardships, think of, think of, thinking of things that, that we know God wants us to do. Think of those who are sick. Again, talking to Brother John here. Thinking what Joy's going to with have the health insurance battle and all that kind of stuff and her needing med- to Him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. That fits for so many different contexts, does it not? Again, do we believe what the Word of God says? That's why we are here, right? To be reminded we have lives that are difficult. We have hardships in our lives. We have things in our lives that... There's people in our lives that we need to minister to, right? But we don't have anything to offer them. Truly that is good, apart from what is in Scripture. Right? And that's how we encourage our brothers and sisters in the Lord. And that's exactly what we give to the lost when they come to us. You say, listen, I have nothing to offer you, but I can give you Jesus. Mm-hmm. Right? I think of, uh, who was that? No. Was it Peter and John? Yeah. And I can't give you this, but I give you in the name of Jesus. Well, he, gave, he did give them their sight. Okay? Okay? But again, it was all about Jesus. And that's all that we can do. So again, let's be encouraged. Let's be encouraged that we have the mind of Christ this morning. Don't think that you have to have a, a PhD in theology or something like that and be afraid of the Word of God. Study it. Read it. Pray. Cling to what God has shown you in His revealed will. Right? We know that the secret things belong to the Lord. We're never going to know the secret things. Those are, that's God. That's the incomprehensibility of God. He is who He is. He is distinct from His creation. But everything that He's revealed to us, we actually know it, just as He knows it. Right? It may not be quantitatively the same thing, but the quality of what He has revealed is what He knows is equal. He's revealed something of Himself that He wants us to know. Think of how awesome that is. When most of the world is dying, and perishing, and they will never know it. And yet you know it as a church, brothers and sisters. So let's rejoice in all that He has given us. And I don't think I can say any more. So, any questions? No? We're good? All right. Thank you, Ms. TJ. Um, I think we all pretty much know this, but Satan is the best salesman in the world. And he, uh, I, I get it. There's one episode of Mass where there's a kid who's a, he's a salesman and he is a nudge. He just keeps bashing away at it, and he's got all his little scripts lined up, and every he's got an answer for everything. Well, Satan's ten times better, in yeah. fact, probably a hundred times better, and he's going to slip one in. 
I found a place in scripture that there was a constant twisting. He was constantly telling all, all he had to do was say it in one way, and it came out totally against God's glory. Hmm. And, and we have to be on, that's all the more reason to hide his word in our hearts. Amen. To keep after it, to keep memorizing it, keep reading it over and over so that it becomes part of us so that we have that shield of faith and the and the, the sword of the Spirit ready for all those arguments because they're subtle. Mm. And they're going to get more and more subtle as we go along Amen. in this age. Amen. Well, again, we can't, we can't defend what we believe if we don't know what we believe. Right. So it's on us. And that's, that is our responsibility for every believer. Doesn't make a difference where what how God has gifted us and what calling He has given us. He's called every single one of us to be able to give a defense. And we can't give a defense unless we get ourselves in this book. Like you're saying, people will twist it. Satan uses people. Okay? But greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. So let's pray. Father, again, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for Well, Lord, let me just bring it into our context now. I thank you. And we remember what you do, really, every day of our lives, Lord God. We are here because you came, you sent your son down here. And your son gave all of himself so that we can essentially have all of him and have new life and have it everlasting. And we're going to remember that today as we take part of your table that you've allowed us to take part in. And we thank you for that. So help us, Lord, now to to just prepare our hearts. I, I believe it's already prepared. We've been prepared. We should have been prepared before we came here. But I pray now, even now, Lord God, that you would put a spirit of seriousness in us, thanksgiving in us, praise in us, so that we can magnify you and exalt your name together. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.